the wrestling should be fun podcast. It's like an episode of Survivor. The tribe has <laughs> spoken. Kids are asleep upstairs. Dominic, calm the fuck down. There's gonna, I'm going to be in trouble for that, definitely. Swearing and yelling. <laughs> okay. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. G'day scholars, welcome back to the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast, it's what the nerds are watching. I am this week's host, Dom Philp on the mic, not too hard, not too soft, but just right. Coming to you free of charge just about every single week on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. Best way for you to support is to rate, review, subscribe, the old holy tricolon. Uh, also, why don't you get around us on social media, on Twitter, fucking millions of followers over there, I've sworn already, 30 seconds in, I said, a, said an F word just to fill the space, sorry dear listener. Uh, but yeah, over there on Twitter, it's fucking wrestling should be fun. Uh, WSBFUN on Twitter, all one word, millions of followers over there. You can also get us on Instagram, it's at wrestling should be fun, all one word. Or as always, when I'm on, you know, I encourage you to ring up your mum. Why don't you write a letter to your man? Why don't you act this out for your local community on a balcony as a play with your family and friends? And just get around us generally. Like, I'm going to get around our very special guest. I said I was this week's host on episode 84, but I am joined by three other members of the crew who are great hosts as well. First up, it's Boreham Woods Finest. It's Big Lady Cool. It's Matthew Connolly. Woo! Matt, do your um, opening catchphrase for us, like you were hosting. Oh, it's been a while, actually. Brothers, sisters, gender resistors. Yes, mate. the pod. Love that so much. Great to have you, Con Man. Hey, I'll tell you what, we've got another great host on the show. We've got the only professional in the building. It's JCH, the big knee himself, James Harris. JCH, <laughs> give us your best opener for the pod if you are hosting. All right, guys, how are we? Um, yeah, it's normally, it's normally someone saying, by the way, James, you're hosting today. And then I leave halfway through the episode because I go back to work. So I appreciate you putting me in with a good host like the rest of you lot. <laughs> Mate, like I said, the only professional in the building. I said, but I'm more of a pundit these days, a professional pundit than a professional you know, lead man. So, you know, that's the... On the airwaves up Radio Devon, next scene, April 10th, Peterborough away. There you go. Outstanding. I'd like I'd like some more fucks in there if possible when giving plugs, please. Um, also, our, <laughs> our next great host joining us, not only is he the host, but he's also the boss. It's Ross the Boss Casey. Roscoe, give us your best opener for the pod, please. Hello and welcome to the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast with me, Ross the Boss Casey, and three better hosts. <laughs> well, two, two and a pundit. I have to say, Dom, I can't remember the last time we were on when I could see you in person because you were going doing your open. It's so, you got it down so much. I always assumed it was just a drop that you recorded and sent in that just dropped at the front until you dropped that fuck and I could see your mouth moving. I generally thought it was normally just a pre-recorded thing. It's always so on on game and like exactly the same. So yeah, but well done to you. Yeah, it's. I often say it's like I'm not overly creative. I'm not a great writer, but I can memorize other people's bits really well and perform <laughs> them with my own slight twang. It's my it's my special gift <laughs> in life. It's well, it's a curse really. But yeah, which guest that has been on has had the best reaction 
Um, I was really happy when Eddie Dennis sort of said, he said something after, like, I sort of, I, I, the other thing that I do obviously is anytime someone brings up ring announcing, I make a joke that I want their job. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's not really a joke, obviously. And Eddie Dennis said something about a show, and I said, "Oh, if you need a ring announcer," and he said something along the lines of, "Oh, mate, after hearing your intro, you've got the job," or something like that. And coming from you know the pride of Wales, I was I was pretty excited with that one. And you know, everyone knows English teachers are more charismatic than maths teachers, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lads, we got a pretty full bill. If you don't mind, should we get into things? We're going to go back old school here. Retro with all your favourite segments, dear listener. Up first, I'm going to hand it over to the boss for the call-up shift. Mate, it's been a while since we've heard that jingle, fellas, isn't it? <laughs> Roscoe. Call up sheet. We haven't done this for a while. I wonder how rusty we're gonna be. Let's let's see what we got. <laughs> Who's getting the shout out? We may be pretty rusty, but it shouldn't be too bad because we've only got five entries this week. So let's crack on. First up, this chap's name is Isaiah Tapara, fan of Toxic Attraction from Kanaho. Kanaho. Where's Kanaho? Hmm. <laughs> it sounds like a line from a Shakespearean play when he used to like talking about English teachers. Sometimes Shakespeare, if he was like one syllable short, he'd just end a line with ho. So like most famously, like in Romeo and Juliet, Lord Capulet tells his wife, get me my long sword ho. <laughs> and the year nine boys fucking love it. I'll tell you that much. Is he saying like, get me my long sword ho or get yeah. me my long sword ho. Yeah, it's, like, it's, man, like... it's Hacksaw Jim Duggan, mate. Yeah. I think um, you guys are showing your lack of knowledge for WCW in the 2000s. Because I'm pretty sure that's what Hacksaw would say. He was in Team Canada. Ho! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> one of the great TV title reigns of all time when he found the belt in the in the rubbish bin after Kevin Nash tried to bin it. Matt Connolly's favourite phrase, get in the bin with the TV title. <laughs> Next yeah, up, we've that, got... so, mate, I, I don't think we've given him a gimmick, but I, I think we've made a couple of one-liners. I think that'll do you, mate. He's hackstore. Easy. Next up, Ma- we've got... The fans are stupid pigs. <laughs> <laughs> Angela Love from Oklahoma. That's actually Simple a... Rest. That's Davey Richard's wife. <laughs> it's an... a- Angela, not Angelina. Oh, right. right. Every time I hear Angelina Love, I think it's Angela uh, song. Angelina Love... that's fucking outstanding so we're giving her a g-funk gimmick then yeah 100 (laughs) percent. angela love has to be it's everything about california love by mark and dre yeah uh her finisher is the wild wild west (laughs) she never did a crime that she didn't have to do that's the gimmick i like can we give a shout out though to Angelina Love in that first TNA run? I forgot how good that was, and I was just thinking, I just sort of daydream while we were doing that, and I was like, wasn't like um, the beautiful people an unbelievable act for about a year there? So, so can we just great tag team acts with a manager, beautiful people, the acclaimed? Now, what have they got in common? You, you Billy, better tell us, Billy Gunn. I'm a nice man. 
Honor he was their manager, really wasn't he? Young. He managed the beautiful people. Did he really? Come on, you're the TNA. No, I'm not the TNA guy. This is the era of TNA when I didn't watch. Ross, you back me up? I, 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 I right. didn't watch a lot yeah, of no TNA, joke. but I, obviously very proud in Billy Gunn's career. Yeah, I'm an ass man. I think he was as Kit James. Yeah, I remember something about it, Harris. It, I just said right. timeless, isn't he? Timeless. But it has <laughs> gone down like a lead balloon, sadly, we mate. <laughs> I thought I thought you guys would have known that. <laughs> we all do. We just don't like selling your Billy Gunn references. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, very fair. Looking under the hood here, we had a pre-show meeting. No sell Harris's Billy Guns. <laughs> <laughs> and in this round, it was your Billy Puns that we were going to do. Yeah. <laughs> Ross, keep it rolling. Call up sheet. What else we got? Next up, we've got Irish Wrestling and Entertainment, home of the Irish Wrestling Podcast, Talking Crack, and Top of the Pods, covering wrestling, movies, TV, etc. I think that the Irish Wrestling Podcast, I think these guys, big shout out to them. I actually, I believe they may have had Gene Money on their podcast to talk about the Darth Lad Emporium the same week as we did. I think that's where I've heard of this podcast before. Big up to those guys. Love your work. You know, the brotherhood of wrestling podcasts is strong. Fair play, lads. I don't know if you need a gimmick, but um, we'd love to have you on sometime. Come on for a chat and we can maybe... I don't know, maybe we should have a chat about Scrapamania next week after it's done, if you guys are heading up to OTT on St. Paddy's Day. Top of the morning to you, perfect for the day that's in it. Have a part of the black stuff for me, fellas. No gimmicks, but good networking from Dom. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's okay to be earnest sometimes, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> ernest up, Miller. We've got Big Ben, Beast Move, Cromwell. Just a human being, proud fan of LeBron James, Candace Parker and the Pittsburgh Steelers and the New York Yankees, Drake, J. Cole, Kendrick Lamar, Wale, Tyrese and Ginny Wine Tank. <laughs> right, this guy's gimmick is he's literally, he supports all the big teams. He's like Man United, New York Yankees, LeBron, Drake. Like, it's just collecting like... <laughs> all the big teams. Know, like, New Zealand rugby team. He's like, a bit of them, yeah. Well, we'll have a bit of Saracens. I don't know. Like, who else is good? Like... Steelers, they're pretty pops, yeah. uh, pretty uh, it, successful. A bit like the Boston Bruins are undefeated for two months. He supports them now. I think that's his gimmick. He just changes and supports the best, the best teams. He's loving this Alfie Inger Harland hat trick. So he's Big Ben, Beast Move bandwagon. Yeah, <laughs> love that. The bandwagon. That's a great <laughs> name for a finishing move for sure. <laughs> yeah. Also, a perfect faction name because it just keeps on growing. Yeah, <laughs> I can I can already hear Michael Cole screaming. He's tuning up the bandwagon. <laughs> Unreal. That's so good. Last but not least, we have ourselves a real wrestler. He is Coyote Solitario, a dude who occasionally puts on a coyote mask on weekends, but also works for the government 18 days out of the month. Still not in the PWI 500. Do you gimmick Coyote? Coyote, I think that you 100% should never get in the PWI 500. That, it sounds like that's what you're working on already. Turn that into a gimmick, brother. That sounds like a plan. You're the oh. 501st best wrestler, you know, almost like Jericho, <laughs> the man with a thousand and four holds. I want him dancing on tables. Dance like, on the bar. Coyote ugly, yeah? Coyote <laughs> ugly, right. You've got coyote I'm, mask and hot pants, dancing on the bar. Chasing a road runner. <laughs> 
Teaming up with Jack from the bar. I am amazed that uh, Dom hasn't gone for a cricket pun there with 501. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, Surely yeah, yeah. he's... One, one surely his than... manager is uh, Brian Lara. Brian Lara, yeah. I feel 501's more, um, more of a darts number, to be honest. 501? Yeah. See, yeah every Brian... leg is 501. That's Brian Lara's number all day. Yeah, but that's his, like, the English county record for, like, Warwickshire. It's not like the te- his test record, is it? It's the world record, though, isn't it? So he got 501. I think um, the Pakistani opener, Hanif Muhammad, he got 499, didn't he, I think? Did he get yeah. out for 499? I believe so. I think Hanif <laughs> Muhammad got 499. I think oh, Lara's 501. I'm pretty right. sure cricket cricket fans, text in, let us know. Text Ross, as always, if you have any complaints. Well, because, like, Matt, Matthew Hayden beat his test record, didn't he? Yeah, he got three. So Lara was 375 with the test world record. Hayden got 380, and then two weeks later, Lara came out and got 400. So what's his cricket pun name slash finisher? Well, Lara was the, he's the prince. They called him the prince. Um, That's taken, that one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Lara, I don't know. He is the um, flamboyant left-hander. Phrasing. (laughs) (laughs) Brian Lariat. No, it doesn't really work, does it? (laughs) Brian Lariat. Brian Lariat. It's not close enough. Lara Noir. (laughs) (laughs) Lara Austin. (laughs) Lara. And so on. But that's a perfect uh, end to uh, this week's call-up sheet. Thanks, everyone, to uh, sending in their requests. And we hope that you enjoyed your new gimmicks. I don't think you will. We didn't give any gimmicks. I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> really, bitch? Thank you so much for wasting my motherfucking time. You feel me? Outstanding. Righto, let's do what the nerds are watching. I've been watching you. A la 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 long. A la 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 long, 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 long. Come on. A la 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 long. A la 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 long, 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 long. Uh, what the nerds are watching this week, I thought I'd get us uh, kicked off if I was trying to get things back on the rails a little bit. A few of us just over a week ago went and attended the aforementioned Gene Money's Darth Lad Emporium. It's a show promoted by Progress Wrestling, but booked, written, and everything else by the one-man band himself, Gene Money, that damn dirty dog. I really just wanted to give it a shout out. Uh, Harrison, Ross, you were both there, and maybe you can touch in. I think as an overall rule, fellas, Gene really delivered, right? Fuck, that was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, I had a great time. Sorry, I thought Ross was going to jump in. No, yeah, that's horrendous hosting from me. I should just say the name of who I want to speak first. Sorry, let's Um, try again. Harris, what did you think? Yeah, I loved it. I had a great time. I really enjoyed it. I say cracking in-ring action, really fun, good, good, good crowd. I thought it was a good turnout. I mean, I know Gene was... I don't know how worried he was when he was on with you, Dom. He seemed reasonably worried about selling some tickets. He was like, please come. And um, uh, see, I thought it was a good turnout based on the Dome crowds before. And uh, yeah, had a a really good time. Enjoyed it all. I like the sort of long, ongoing storyline. Memory dropped a bit because uh, our old mate Colin from in front of us at Progress, who was was celebrating, I think, some good job news, kept buying me drinks and... I asked for a double tequila with soda, just bought a double tequila and put it in my already double tequila and soda, which had very little soda, at least twice. And I was like, come on, man, this is mental. Yeah, I, I know Colin listens and, you know, 
big shout out to you, Cole. Congratulations <laughs> on the new job. Cole was flying pretty high. About half an hour after that, I saw him throwing some real chat at Session Moth Martina. <laughs> uh, I, I reckon he was feeling pretty confident that evening, the lad. I last saw Colin getting bundled into a taxi at around midnight. He had a great night. <laughs> Good work, Colin. And I'm serious, I'm serious, mate. Yeah, thank you very much for the tequilas. But next time, yeah, I'll take them with a the soda, please, mate. I can't. <laughs> I just, it's a school night on a Tuesday. <laughs> hey, generous lad. That's, he's, he's a good guy. Find out more about Colin on the Wrestling Should Be Fun Patreon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I was thinking about the, the show itself. Like, I think my main takeaway was that I actually laughed out loud several times. And that for me, that was like a real measure of like almost objective obtained from money. You know, like I was like, yeah, there, there are a few times where I guffawed out loud. I, I just thought it was great when the police officers put the police tape out and then everyone was doing their entrance, like stepping over <laughs> and people selling the dead body on the entranceway, that of Callum Newman. I, I, I really, really enjoyed the show. I thought it was well done. It's just good fun. Ross, did you have any big takeaways? I, I've sort of got one more serious one after this. Yeah, so big shout out to Jean for the timing of coming out from the backstage, watching the screen with the pre-tape stuff and then coming out into the live venue at the right time every single time. Timing on those was amazing. Yeah. So if, if I could just explain that a little bit, like, dear listener, Gene had some pre-tapes done backstage, but in that he, had, he would poke his head through either the entranceway or a side door and he just would time it so his head popped out when it happened on the screen from a pre-tape it was really funny yeah yeah like as you say the humor throughout was amazing i love the fact that it was like a, a whodunit and spoilers it was gene and that was amazing as a kind of like a send-off apparently there was like um something filmed to be shown after Pretty much everyone left the venue and TK Cooper posted about it and was like, well, that was a waste of fucking time filming that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm assuming that that was going to be some kind of like Marvel-esque, here's what to expect next time. Type, All type right. Vibe. But we don't know what that is until we see it on demand. If it is on part of that, um, hopefully it is because we all missed it. And also shout out to TK Cooper for um, wearing those tight trousers and uh, wrestling. He was saying um, on his Instagram that normally he does that scissor kick off the top rope and he couldn't do it because the trousers were too tight so he um, changed to an elbow drop <laughs> so I'm yeah. just making notes there to check that out <laughs> hey, TK Cooper one of the real stars of the show I thought he was amazing other standout performers on the evening or just Amari is huge amazing <laughs> Connolly I don't know the last time you saw Omari, but he's grown two foot since the last time I saw him. He is massive. Jeez. Yeah, I, don't, makes, I can't remember the last time I saw him. I used to enjoy him. Uh, I saw him quite a bit at Bike Club Pro, and he was a yeah. big boy then, like height-wise especially. Yeah, I'm sure he's probably the same height, but in my memory, he was never that big. I think I just noticed it because he was standing next to Warren Banks, and I know Banks is deceptively large, and Omari towered over him, eh? He's not just big, but he's athletic. The way that he moved, you can see why OTT have you know bet the farm on him. He's he he looks like he's just about ready to break through. He had some charisma about him as well. He he was something that stood out to me. I think he's just about ready. You know, for me, the real star of the show, it's the king of the dome. He's the new king of the dome. It's Lycos, mate. Kid Lycos, he he's a different guy in the dome. He's like Mills and Mayhew in the past. 
what an absolute geezer inside the Tufnell Park Dome. Yeah, and up against Rey Mysterio as well. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> do you reckon Darice speaks... The, I mean, do you reckon Rey Mysterio actually speaks <laughs> Spanish or do you reckon he learnt it for just that opening song? <laughs> Definitely learnt it. Definitely learnt it. Mate, that's on, like... He must be an incredibly talented guy to do the rap in Spanish. Well, he's got um, he's got Eddie Kingston coming up in OTT soon. Kingston probably speak a bit of Spanish, can he? Yeah, Kingston's Puerto Rican, isn't he? I, yeah. I don't, I don't know the intricacies of the uh, linguistics there. Maybe they can but, do a little, little bit of conversational stuff there. See, okay. <laughs> don't laugh, <laughs> don't don't laugh. <laughs> This one's a bit more serious, and I, I was just wondering about what you guys sort of want to get your thoughts on it, fellas. If I think like the crowd, because of the nature of the show, I think that sometimes there are a couple of times when the crowd forgot to interact with the wrestling. It was like because there was like the story going on throughout, as mentioned with the Who Done It and the murders and stuff, and like you know all the wrestlers doing such a great job with the acting bits and the facial expressions and all that. And then I think that there were times when the in-ring action just got a little bit lost. I know that that's about as negative as we'll ever get here on the show, and I don't mean it in a negative way. It was just more of like a, a shout to the performances outside the ring from everyone. But did you guys notice that with the crowd? Like, Harris, were you too drunk to pick up on the intricacies of the crowd reactions, or did you notice that as well? Uh, option A. Option A. <laughs> Ross, was so, I just imagining it? So... I can only speak for, uh, you were sober, I was not sober, but I wasn't as drunk as Colin, Freebie, Tequila, James over here. But um, <laughs> just speaking for myself, I found myself not particularly wanting to watch that last match, the Omari match. And that's mad because it was Omari Banks two of like the best. And I was like, I just kind of want to know who done it. <laughs> and that's terrible, yeah. isn't it? But like, yeah. that was the kind of thought process in my mind because I knew from the podcast that, this is kind of a standalone match. It doesn't count towards anything in progress in terms of rankings or anything like that. Like in my brain, I, I just kind of switched off and was like, I just want to know who done it. But that was the only match that my brain did that. And then once it became the tag match afterwards, I just got back into, oh, let's just have fun. You put your finger on it exactly. I think that a lot of people in the crowd are not necessarily that match. It really was a great match and it's good fun. And those guys are incredible. But I do think a lot of people were sort of like, Oh, when are we going to find out who done it? Come on. (laughs) I I do think people were anxious to get to the finish of the show rather than the finishes of the matches. I think people noticed it a little bit as well in the camp show match. But Ross, that's a little bit more up your alley. Mate, that was was pure me. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, overall, we loved the show. And if they do do a second one, dear listener, you've got to get down there. And um, tell you, it was was always and... Uh, stands always a good a big favorite of ours uh it was great in a referee role martina yeah she was good T- taking the bribes getting up the bar yeah <laughs> classic classic stuff that was in that yeah. was good. can't say enough positive things about session moth or tk cooper just standout performers unbelievable and uh honorable mention for referee tom's facial expressions when he was murdered <laughs> <laughs> Lads, speaking of progress, you'll be surprised wrestling. to know, Con man, he missed you murdering him. Yeah, I got your text, <laughs> which was a blurry photo saying he's dead. 
Luckily, he was striped, and I could tell it was one of the refs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. So speaking of progress wrestling and their referees that often steal the heat from the heels, we transition a little bit to maybe my favorite live progress show since the pandemic and that was at the ballroom a couple weeks back i think we won't touch too much on the whole show fellas but definitely we do need to quickly in passing talk about i think a couple of standout matches firstly wanted to mention the opening match the most recent canonical progress wrestling show and that of course Callum Newman versus Nick Wayne, standing ovation in the ballroom. Fellas, thoughts on Newman versus Wayne? Did you enjoy that one as much as myself and 599 other Camden locals did? Yeah, Alf, I absolutely loved it. I think it's the first time I've seen Nick Wayne. And I've seen him walk out and take Callum Newman's hand, but he was injured the last time. I don't think I've ever seen him at any of the GCW shows I've been to. It's your first time meeting Nick Wayne. It's 100% my last time meeting Nick Wayne. After the show, I, I'd, I'd had a few beers and I was I was just chatting to him. He's a really, really nice lad, you know, and he was just so polite and so nice. But I was just mindful that I, my words weren't coming out correctly and I just completely put my foot in my mouth when I was trying to explain that I'd met his mum and I really liked her. And no mother of the groom, so... Yes, right here. Mother, you came. Phrasing, boom! <clears throat> Inappropriate. And- <laughs> And it just, you can just imagine how it came out. And I just, and I couldn't, I was too drunk to, to save it. And luckily there was another friend of ours, let's call him Wizard J, you know, that's too obvious, W. James. And <laughs> he he came over and saved me. He was like, oh, yeah, Nick, this is my friend Dom. Um, he caught the bus from GCW. And I, and I was like, yes, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I just, <laughs> yeah I'm going to leave now. Yeah. And then, Ross, did you? I don't know if you wanted to touch on any matches from that oh, show. Sorry. We're sort of flying by the seat of our was... pants a little bit. But the main event we're definitely are trying to get to. But just before we do, talk about Cara Noir and Spike Trevay and the big announcement this evening. Anything else we wanted to touch on from that show? Just the overall experience. I want to just agree with you in that I felt it was the best progress show since the pandemic as well. The atmosphere was amazing. The RKJ and uh, Demo match was oh. brilliant. The uh, Atlas match, two beefy guys going at it. Really enjoyed that. That's a phrasing for you, Phil. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, Don't encourage him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Barry, I am coming for you. Phrasing. I just had the best time with my mates, making up chants, being a bit of a twat, but in a nice way, in a safe space where I can be a twat. (laughs) <laughs> was it was it this show which had Mayhew on the outside, or was that the Danny Black yeah. Leo run? It was this one, wasn't it? Yeah, wasn't it? It, it was, was the outside of Newman v Wayne, or was that the yeah. Black Rush and the one before? Well, I know he, he was everywhere. He, he his reactions were incredible, and then a couple of big spots in the middle. Like I remember some German suplex based spot, especially where they sort of caught each other into moves that I don't know the names of. But yeah, yeah, that Leo Rush match was amazing. Yeah. Also touching on Nick Wayne, um, they did a promo afterwards where it looks like he's going to be in super strong, so that's exciting. Wrestling Dom for talking about his mum, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I really was just trying to be nice. (laughs) 
You're fucking uh, squashing, mate. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I would, and I'm not saying anything else. I'll tell you my joke off air. So obviously then the main event, fellas, Spike Gervais versus Tom Dawkins, Cara Noir's on the line and the huge finish where Tom Dawkins' partner, wife, gets involved, does the run-in, makes the save, hits, I can't even remember exactly what she hit, it's like a, some sort of top rope manoeuvre. What a manoeuvre. Um, and uh, Tom Dawkins gets the Duke and Cara Noir is back. Maybe even more exciting though, we're going to see these two go at it one last time in the ballroom in April inside of a steel cage. Fellas, thoughts on a Progress Wrestling steel cage match first time ever in the Electric Ballroom? I'm going to go to Conley because we haven't heard from him for a while. Conman, you looking forward to the steel cage? What are your initial thoughts on that announcement? You can't not be excited by a steel cage at like, it sounds patchy, I'd say this level of wrestling because, you know, but I mean that because it's not happened on a, on a show of this size that I know of, you know, so... To have a steel cage there is obviously a, a real draw on its own. Um, and it's and it's a rivalry that's earned it. It doesn't feel like they're doing it for the gimmick and to go, look, we've got a steel cage match. This is something that I think people would have spoken about, like could be done down the line, but, you know, had, the feud hadn't got there yet or the logistics of a cage weren't there. It feels natural and it feels right and it feels like a big bucking deal. So for me, there's nothing not to be positive about with that announcement. It's fantastic. And what are we thinking about what's going to happen in the match? It's going to be for the Progress Wrestling World Championship inside a steel cage. Ross, do you have any ideas about where the story might go and how it might complete? I'm massively intrigued. Um, obviously, Spike Gervais has literally two chapters ago created a faction with uh, the Smoking Asses. And the fact that potentially he's going to lose the title in that cage is really interesting. And even more interesting is if he wins somehow, especially because he's created this match with the storyline being that he hates the fact that the Progress fans know his name and chant Simon at him. And they hate the fact that the fans saw him get beat. And he now wants to prove that this is his world, this uh, progress that, that has been built on his back, not on Simon's back. And he wants to beat him on his own. So he says that he's doing this cage match because he wants to prove that he's the better man one-on-one. But it's wrestling. And I'm sure that there's going to be smoking asses and Bullet and Claire, I think her name is, Karen Noir's wife, and potentially Sanity involved as well. I'm sure that they'll be around. But in terms of where it goes, I know Brum mentioned that potentially he sees a double turn happening. What are you, fucking stupid? Personally, I don't want to see that, but what a twist it would be. Let me put it this way. It's not that I wouldn't even want to see it, but if Cara Noir and Spike Gervais can get the Progress Wrestling fans in the ballroom to buy in for a double turn, well, that will be one of the greatest achievements in the history of wrestling. If they can pull that off, well, they deserve every single plaudit that they get for this storyline because I think that that's nigh on impossible to get that uh, fan base to cheer for Spike Gervais. I say I don't think it'd be that hard to get people to boo Cara Noir, personally. I, say, I can't resonate with him, personally. He's maybe their best babyface champion, though. I, I, don't, I don't resonate with him. I, I, he doesn't, I say, I, I'll, I'll uh, cheer for him and, and I'll boo Spike when I go to the shows because that's, you know, because I'm not, you know, I like to get involved. But, you know, if he, if he was wrestling, I don't know, Mayhew, I'd be cheering for Mayhew. I, I just don't, I, personally, he doesn't, like, he, 
He's never really spoken. He's 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 a, he's a loner on his own opinion. That's his own character. He's the the black swan. He doesn't really want anything. I mean, recently he sort of said he wanted some things to do with the fans. He's like, oh, but until but before then, I, I I don't really you know he, he's got the the big entrance, which is fun, and I don't I've never really resonated with his character. He's a swan. Well, that's fair enough. But like, would you say that isn't an opinion held widely by the ballroom, though? Is it? No, I'd agree with you. He's he's a popular popular man, but I think his character is. I don't think he's given the fans enough reason that he couldn't turn them. I think he's probably good enough to do that. The other way around, like Dom said, getting notorious alleged conservative Spike Trevay to be cheered by that crowd. I think that's the issue. I think Cara could turn them. I think it'd be really hard, as Dom said, the other way around for Spike to do it. So obviously, I've spoken in the past how much I love this storyline and. The only storyline in British wrestling that holds up to it, in my opinion, is Osprey and Havoc. And the way that they turned Havoc face was by having him face Paul Robinson in a death match. And he almost bled out in the ring. And Jim Smallman offered his hand. And then he, did, he disappeared for six months. And he came back at Brixton to the almighty pop that he came back to. It's going to have to be something like that, isn't it? If they're going to do this. Like I mean, This is obviously all hypothetical. I don't want to see it, but if they do do it, it's got to be kind of Cara Noir goes way, way over the top in that cage and he just beats the shit out of him for a long, long time to the point where it's quite uncomfortable. Yeah, it would it would have to be like Rock Foley levels of chair shoddiness. But there's, I, no, I agree with what you said. That like, Trivet just morally isn't on the like, it's not like a wrestling thing where we don't like him because like he's as brutal as a Havoc or he cheats as much as a pick your cheating wrestler. It's like, built into the character, like what James said, of like, in the current climate and the political nature of the country, that progress fan base are going to just boo someone for being a Tory. And it's not just like you can just suddenly come out and stop talking about it and the fans are going to go, oh, well, we'll cheer them now anyway, uh, rightly or wrongly. Like, and that's a comes, real hard he, one to turn. I say, unless he comes out with uh, Zach's mate, Jeremy, and on his, <laughs> as it, instead of Bullet, like, he's going to struggle to convince him. He's, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's swung it around. I, he, I say, even if... As you say, Ross, he, yeah, he, he, I mean, it doesn't be a double turn, does it? It can be a Cara wins and there's a face. Spike sort of always wins the respect, vanishes for a while, comes back at some other point as their face. But I, I think I'd struggle to double turn them in that moment. Uh, and yeah, as as you say, Matt, I don't think, I think Spike's going to have to do a lot of character reformation to, to win over that crowd. As much as people, you know, enjoy his act, I'd struggle to see it, but... Fair play, as, as Dom said, fair play if they can pull it off. It was, I say they might even want to pull it off. We don't even know. One more question about the cage match setup. What sort of cage would you love to see if you had any choice about the cage? Like, I'm sure it's going to be a chicken wire sitting on the ring apron style of deal. But for me, I'd love the St. Valentine's Day Massacre big black bars. <laughs> yeah. And a bullet can come and choke, slam him through it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Ross? I reckon you're a you're a big blue, aren't you? <laughs> what was the one that Trent Seven wanted? The Punjabi prison. <laughs> yeah. <that one>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obviously old school, so I would love the blue cage. There you <laughs> go. There we go. Yeah. The salad steel cage. <laughs> Excellent. Uh last call for favorite cages. What's that? I like that one with the, was it the Rocks promo when he goes like, Hell in a cell, rage in the cage, penis in your anus. <laughs> <laughs> Armageddon 2000 promo. Right. I like it's the one where um, 
one where Triple H hid the sledgehammer because he painted it the same colour as the cage. That was, that was a cool idea. Yeah, that was good. Actually. Like that. That was, yeah, that was really good. Yeah, really, really good stuff. That's that's great. That's great, great stuff. I reckon the one cage that wouldn't fit in there is the AEW one. That shit is tall. Remember that one that Cody did the moon sold off? That would hit the roof. Yeah. What balcony people would be able to just climb down? What about if, um, because he's a big Tory, what about if it's a kennel in a hell match and it's all basset hounds around the wing? <laughs> <laughs> Corgis. Because they like the hunts, is that yeah. based on? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, that's, that, that is good stuff. Okay, what the nerds are watching, we've gone pretty long here, lads. Ross, I know you quickly wanted to talk a little bit about Jey Uso and Raw and how that's going. Yeah, just big up Jey Uso. Best supporting actor in wrestling, Jey Uso. Amazing. Love all of his reactions, his facials. Unbelievable. The turn on Sammy was done brilliantly. The explanation was interesting as well because he didn't directly say that he did like he actually directly said that he didn't want to do it. And if you read between the lines, the reason that he didn't want to do it is because Roman Reigns threatened Jimmy that if he didn't do it, he was going to get Jimmy. But he didn't directly say that. So that means that that storyline is still cooking. And that's what I'm excited about because Jey Uso needs to be the main event. Jay, thanks for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I think we should put aside some time at some other point to talk about main event Jay. I think he's always going to be supporting player Jay, but that's just me. doesn't mean I don't appreciate his supporting player work, though. But I think we can talk about that another time. We're still here on What the Nerds Are Watching Train. I know there's one more shout-out here. Matthew Connolly wanted to talk a little bit about Impact. Oh, now you want to talk about Impact, yeah? If you follow the Ring Post <laughs> newsletter, Dirt Sheet, Matt Connolly officially a hipster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I enjoy Impact. It's a banana show, and... I just want to talk about, there was one actually genuinely, like by any standard, like minimum eight out of 10 match this week. Kushida and Jonathan Gresham had the sort of match you'd expect. They were given about, I don't know, it was about 10 or 12 minutes, but they both grabbed an arm and told a story and it was excellent. Um, They've set up for what looks like going to be a mini series between the two of them. And the fact that Impact have got that happening on the same show that Tommy Dreamer and Bully Ray are feuding over a cup of coffee and busted open radio. I mean... It's genius stuff. You've got PCO, who's been undead again, feuding with Eddie Edwards. And then you've got, like, Josh Alexander with, like, a bunch of people, like Kenta and uh, Macklin, both going after the title right now. Like, it's such a weird show with so many things, and not everything hits. I think everyone on the women's roster is, like, a goth, doing a goth thing. There's a lot of black magic going on. (laughs) But it's just a crazy weird roster. I like... I think it's well worth, I don't watch Impact every single week, but whenever I do, there's always something I come away feeling very entertained by. And this week it was actually a really good wrestling match rather than the bonkers stuff. Genuine question, because I clearly don't know how to use Google. Is it still on TV in the UK? Can you still watch it for free? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No idea. I I watch it through the same... Flying out there there every week, I Flying out there. (laughs) Flying out to the Impact Zone. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to the tapings, <laughs> isn't I? I'm it. It, it, I don't watch it every week. I just fly to the impact zone when I feel like it. <laughs> it wasn't you that ran over PCO, was it? Well, we'll find out. It probably got taped a month ago. Did you do it for The Rock? <laughs> <laughs> right, last call. What the nerds are watching? JCH watched one match. <laughs> 
Yeah, <laughs> Jamie for Orange Cassidy. Loved it. Jeff Jarrett doing a That's all the time we have here on Watch. <laughs> I, I wrapped up before you could cut me off. <laughs> uh, hey, dear listener. <laughs> Uh, I think that we're going to, like, we'll probably title this show something to do with the Deathmatch special. Uh, We've sort of been kicking around a few ideas about how to approach our roundtable. And what we came up with, there were a few that were just kind of to do with either blood loss in wrestling or how we felt about gimmick and death matches or garbage matches, as some people like to call them. And so we thought, well, let's devote a little bit of time, maybe half an hour or so, just having a little bit of a chat about our thoughts on Deathmatch wrestling. So here we have it. This is the Deathmatch special. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for our main event of the evening. This week's roundtable is all things Deathmatch. Not just that, but it is a fucking Deathmatch. This is the Wrestling Jimmy Ford Roundtable. Have you ever... So, Deathmatch especially, fellas. Opening thoughts about Deathmatches. Con man, you wanted me to kind of walk you through a little bit about Deathmatches. Is this right? Yeah, the reason I want it to be you, Dom, is I think of the group, you're the one who enjoys them the most. Well, you're definitely, I think, the one who enjoys them the most. And um, I just wanted you to kind of start with a really strong statement, regardless of where we go with this conversation, where you can kind of lay it on the line why you love them so much or why they resonate with you so much. Harris, I see just on the Zoom screen you raised your hand there. Did you have something you wanted to say before I just kind of spoke yeah, a little bit sure. about the theory behind death matches and why I think they're worthwhile? I was just going to ask, have you named it Deathmatch Special based on the cricket radio show Testmatch Special? That was kind of the idea, yeah. Oh, yeah, very good. I, yeah, it took me, I was like, I know that title, I know that title, it took me three times you said it before I got it. I, I don't normally put in requests like this live, but Phil, if you're listening, if you could play um, Soul Calypso, the Testmatch Special theme now, that'd be great. Yeah, I was trying to sing it, but I can't, I'm like at Wimbledon's in my head instead. TMS goes like this. do 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Right. Okay, death matches. So, in the words of Beyond the Mat, I don't know why I like it. I just always have. Wrestling for me as a kid, this is going, I don't know, it's maybe a little bit of a deep cut for wrestling should be fun. But for me, wrestling as a kid, one of the things that drew me towards wrestling was the different types of characters. To me, as like a fat kid, it felt like there wasn't really, even though there was, but there wasn't really any fat phobia or size shaming in wrestling. You know, sometimes Earthquake beat Hulk Hogan, um, very rarely, but there was that one time. And (laughs) sometimes, like, it just kind of felt like Superman on wrestling sometimes lost, you know. It didn't matter what you looked like or where you came from. There were people from all different countries, people who could speak well, people who didn't speak. Uh, English very well and you know as like a fat kid from Australia I just loved that I felt like connected to those different types of characters I even remember once when I was in just started secondary school I, I didn't get to order a lot of pay-per-views but I remember my mum and dad um, I begged them to order me King of the Ring 2000 and I remember they were really pushing Rikishi at the time and he I think he went to the final of the King of the Ring 2000 against Kurt Angle 
And I remember I was watching it like with my brother and my dad or something like that. And like mum came, just sort of came into the room. And I remember my mum looked at the screen and said, my mum has struggled with her weight her whole life. And she said, uh, she looked at the screen and goes, oh, well, he won't win. He's fat. They won't let him win. And I remember I didn't have the words at the time to say it, but I remember sort of thinking, I was like, no, that's not true, mum, because in wrestling it's okay to be fat. And that's part of the reason I really liked it as a kid. So what's this got to do with deathmatch wrestling? Well, as I got older, I, I just really connected with the characters of deathmatch wrestling, I think different sorts of characters and odd bods like they used to call the ECW locker room the island of misfit toys didn't they and I think that's really that spirit of accentuating the positive and hiding the negative and everyone is welcome that flag is really flown now by the deathmatch companies and you know when I go to a deathmatch I think I always feel at home in the crowd with just loads and loads of different people shapes and sizes different backgrounds you can be, well, just wrestling in general, but deathmatch crowds, you know, like I'm a teacher. Uh, I could be standing there with a banker. I could be standing there with, I don't know, someone from the sex industry. I could be standing there with uh, whatever and name any job you want to. No job is better than any other. And everyone feels at home and everyone feels welcome because there's someone in the ring that we can relate to. I think that it started for me. Um, I came across a tournament of death. Uh, CZW Tournament of Death and um, I remember I think it was Tournament of Death 4 one of the more famous ones it wasn't the first one I saw because the first person I was drawn to was Nick Mondo but really someone that stood out to me was a guy called Sexy Eddie um, at Tournament of Death 4 and I remember he started in the crowd no one had any idea who he was and his first match he kind of got booed because CZW fans that was like their thing they were really mean and he ended up winning his first and second round matches, I think. And in the second round match, he like um, nicked an artery in his arm. There's a famous photo. Sorry if you're squeamish and you listen to this, but there's a famous photo or video of him like when he clenched his fist, blood spurred out of his bicep where the nick was on the artery and he like was squirt into his own mouth. <laughs> Which sounds really sick. And I could see Harris wincing on the screen. But... <laughs> the fans just went absolutely apeshit and everyone got around him. And he ended up for about a year run, this guy who no one knew before time, just because he was tough and because he gutted it out and showed that he was dedicated to that style of wrestling. He became the biggest star in CZW. He wrestled in cage of death that year. He was the headliner. And I like that kind of is a way of me summing up why I like it. It's the way that those characters of all different shapes and sizes connect to the audience. But I think, Matt, you wanted me to talk a little bit about the psychology of death matches as well and how they make sense because we all hear it. Like, we, you know, we've all seen hardcore matches or death matches. And, like, you know, I can imagine Jim Cornette now yelling. It's like, why would someone stand there and let somebody else hit them with a light tube? Why would you just stand there and take it? And I guess the best thing I could say is, well, why would you stand there and let Ric Flair chop you? Why would you let American Dragon Brian Danielson give you a snap there and sit there and wait for him to kick you? and then get up and kick him and take it in turns. Because it's in wrestling, there's this thing, it's almost dates back to like ancient Japan, like the Bushido code of the samurais. It's like, well, who's the toughest? In that moment, it's, it's about winning a match, yes, but it's about, well, I'm going to win this match by proving that I'm the toughest. And death match is the same. I'm going to prove to you that I'm the toughest, not by who can take the hardest chop or the biggest kick. It's who can stand up to the light tube or the thumbtacks 
or the pouring salt over my wounds or a whippersnipper or whatever it might be, right? And that's what it is. It's almost, I'm not saying that every match works on that method where it's like, I'm going to let you do it, but that is part of it. Every match has that element of, I know that I'm going to have weapons used against me. And my mentality as a wrestler in this match is, I know that my opponent is going to do that. And I know that the idea of this match is who is toughest. It's not always about who's going to murder the other person. It's not about who's going to inflict the worst injury. The story is who can stand up to the most punishment, who can take the most pain. And that's what a death match is all about. It's almost like there's unspoken rules. Inflict pain but not permanent injury. Who can push themselves to the limit and put up with the most pain? Who has that highest threshold? And that's why the best death matches of all time, when I say death matches, I mean the, death, the best death match wrestlers. That's why they've been those people with the pain threshold. Mick Foley, for example, just put himself through incredible pain for the sake of the art form. And, and I think that's, the, that's where the art comes in. So some of the best ones then. Outside of that narrative, the samurai Bushido code narrative, who can just take the most pain and let it, let it come and still keep fighting, I think the best death matches are the ones that have a story, the blow-offs to a feud. A couple that come to mind for me, just probably just two. My favourite deathmatch wrestler, Big Joe. He wrestled and he won the Rise Tournament for the death ma- European Deathmatch Championship last year. I went, I went up to it. And the story of that show was a tournament. Deathmatches are always blessed because normally they happen during a tournament. There is always a built-in story. The best way to tell a story in wrestling if you haven't got the great writing skills is to do a tournament because there's always got to be easy stories to tell. And that's what Deathmatch has. It's an advantage. They're always tournaments. And that big Joe night at the European Deathmatch Championship last year, it was him as the local boy, the up-and-coming star, against the big import, Alex Cologne from Chicago, three-time fucking tournament of survival winner, the best Deathmatch wrestler in the world. Everyone knows that. And the story is Alex Cologne absolutely beat the fuck out of him, killed him. I've never seen a beating like it. Joe got beaten from pillar to post. I knew that Big Joe had a torn Achilles at the time. He couldn't even walk. Got the shit beat out of him. And then he ends up beating Cologne with a major spot. Just the story of that is unbelievable. Underdog hero, local lad turned hero, legend, Big Joe. He won my heart that night. I'm going to support him wherever he goes forever because of that. And he looks a bit like me, although about a third of the size. Other ones with stories, what about Havoc versus Osprey in the ballroom? You guys will probably talk about that a little bit more if you like, if I ever give everyone a chance to speak. And then, of course, the OG of this shit, Mick Foley, Royal Rumble 2000 for me versus Triple H or Backlash 2004 versus Randy Orton. Those are my favourites. Fellas, have I won you over? Um, I'll give you a chance to all speak. What I'd like to hear is how do you feel about deathmatch wrestling? You, I know you're not going to talk for 10 minutes like me, but how do you feel about those matches? What are your thoughts and what are your favourites, if there are any? Connolly, have I done you proud there? You're up next, pal. Oh, mate, you've exceeded expectations. I knew you'd speak passionately, but I think you've already answered some of the points that maybe I was going to make in terms of the way you approach them um, and also answer quite a lot of the criticism that I think deathmatches get, like... I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm a deathmatch guy. Uh, I've never really had a problem with it, but it's not something that I necessarily seek out or see as one of my favourite types of wrestling. But I'm just interested in like the line between how you... I think with wrestling fans, the reason deathmatches get a bad name, basically, is because of we can see the legitimate danger in a deathmatch. Death Whereas the danger in a normal wrestling match we know is there, but we 
it could happen any time, like just for a, more of an accident. Whereas I think sometimes wrestling fans think, oh, this is silly because they're now purposefully trying to hurt themselves. And I've always wondered whether that's the reason they get hated on a bit more than other types of matches. So that's just something I really wanted to explore. Like, Dom, not to go back to you because I do want everyone to talk, but do you ever feel watching them like, oh, this is too much or, or you feel guilty for enjoying the high level of punishment? Yeah, a little bit sometimes. But that would more so be, if again, if something went wrong. Like the risks, like you said, are high. But, I mean, it's like Jimmy Havoc said. He's, he always felt that the risks of, an, of a normal wrestling match and how hard he had to work, he thought that they were greater in a normal wrestling match taking power bombs and spine busters and taking light tubes. So I think the guys who are really good at death matches, they, they can do it safely. But, again, the, I mean... There's been some ridiculous stuff. I haven't been there for anything like this, but I know that famously last year there was like a death match where someone allowed the other person to like cut off the tip of their finger with like scissors and stuff like that. Is it crack? Is that what you smoke? Do you smoke crack? I, I'm sorry. I didn't even want to say that out loud, to be honest. Like for me, that would have been too much if I was there. I think everyone's got their limit, right? But so far, for anything that I've been in attendance for, there's times when you might winch or cover your eyes, but it's like a horror film. It's not enough for me to leave or for me to not enjoy it. It's like that that adrenaline, I guess. And that makes me sound like an absolute sick fuck. Con man, you see, the mic is still yours. The floor is still yours if you would like it. Uh, listen, I'm going to let the others have a chat. I, 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 the last thing I'd say is, I, in terms of a watching experience, you'd maybe want to go and invest in some death matches, to be honest. But I think I'd struggle maybe with the tournament, even though I agree with your point about building stories. I think I prefer them in isolation. Yeah. I think I prefer the idea of, like, I think the, the point you made about a blow-off to a feud is the obvious one, right? We've had that recently with the Hangman Mox match, which I thought was brilliant if we're counting that in the death match sphere. I thought that was the perfect end to that that storyline, the way the way they delivered it and the level of violence they've gone to. So yeah, I mean, I'll let someone else have a have a word about what they're thinking about death matches after Dom's basically put them in the best light I've heard. <laughs> Harris, I know you might have some thoughts. Yeah, no, so I um I'd lean more towards similar to what yeah to what Connolly said and to what you said yourself, like the, the sort of death match in isolation. There's something like I struggle to watch them, and that's just me. Like, but. That doesn't mean I don't enjoy them. I enjoyed Mox and Hangman, despite the fact, as, as Ross and Mike and Oscar here would see, I couldn't watch half of it. I, I'm squeamish. But I watched 13 seasons of Grey's Anatomy and was looking away for half the time because I can't just deal with it. But I still enjoyed that sort of match. I enjoyed, yeah, Osprey Havoc. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's some, I want to say, Punk Raven, Punk Jimmy Rave. Yeah, so like, uh, the one thing I do... And I, say, I haven't been to a tournament so much, but I've been to a couple of shows. Like uh, I went last year after Bloodsport, and it was a GCW Deathmatch or one of the affiliates. And it, I, did, I did just find that the, a whole show of the Deathmatches did, did kind of lessen the impact because they're all doing 18 moves with light tubes. And, and you know, and, and I found the fact that it was a whole show of them that it did sort of lessen the impact of it towards the sort of le- the second half of the. I think when you get to the main event, as you say, you've got your big names who know what they're doing and are probably a little bit more creative. Yeah, um, and they and they keep re- and they can keep reinventing it. Like I think uh, Alex Colon was on that show; he might well have been in the main event. But it's sort of like that middle period in between after you've like, wow, shit, he's done that with a light tube. Bang! But then you suddenly get to like the fourth or fifth match, and you're like, oh, he's doing that with a light tube, and it's like, is there how many things can you see on the same show? And so I'm not against 
So I'm definitely against them. And obviously it's got a it's got a place for, for everyone. Everyone's got their own tastes. Um, some people probably wouldn't like to watch a whole show of like something like Ambition or Bloodsport, which is more of a specific type of wrestling that I'd prefer. But they might think that's too much of that and too much of the same. But I just found it was a little bit, I did get a little bit desensitized almost to and less impressed with what was actually impressive things just because it was there were so many light tubes being broken. And then Nick Gage turned up with his pizza car and I was grossed out again. I was like, fair play. Uh, <laughs> and, and like because that because that was a little bit different but I, I do feel it must be hard for someone on a deathmatch show to keep coming up with new things and that's why i think i prefer a deathmatch a as a blow-off definitely and b not a whole show of them like i say i've, I've been to i didn't have a bad time but yeah as somebody who struggles to watch them <laughs> from a don't want to throw up point of view and um right. and it's the same sort of thing happening all the time then yeah i'm definitely more of a one match, maybe you know, maybe two. I'm not against two, but a whole show of them, I did, I did struggle. I think it sort of lessens the impact of them in that regard. And I say I haven't been to a tournament where you will have the storylines built in and the, the callbacks and that sort of thing. So I, I, I wouldn't give that um, review. Wouldn't be of a tournament. That's just more of a, a show of complete death matches. If that makes sense. Yeah, well put. Definitely, I think that probably 99% of our listeners would probably agree with you, but. I think it would be remiss of me not to say, mate, if you can sit through 13 seasons of Grey's Anatomy, you must have the highest pain threshold of any man walking. <laughs> <laughs> There's a long lockdown. Uh, I don't know if you heard about it. Eh? <laughs> Ross, what do you got for us? Maybe, and also maybe, Ross, any favourites that come to mind for you as well? Yeah, sure. So for me, my deathmatch stuff kind of starts with ECW. I didn't get into ECW early enough to see probably the more violent stuff the rotten brothers and things like that i didn't see until way later than it aired i didn't see born to be wired previous to it airing those are two that come to mind in terms of real kind of violent bloody wars but obviously leading on from that mick foley became world champion in a world where it was full of undertakers and austins and rocks and guys that looked like stars and then plucky old Mick Foley becomes world champion of the biggest wrestling promotion of the time. And largely that was through the respect that he earned. And I think that that sort of wrestling, as you mentioned in, in your bit, Dom, it is a great way to show that. And whether that's someone that has hit the road and done the toils of Japan, like Foley did and wrote beautifully about it in his book, which, which definitely helped me kind of understand deathmatch mentality a little bit where he kind of was always so upset with himself if he he felt that he didn't give the fans what they wanted which things like Royal Rumble 99 looking back now nobody wanted that especially his daughter watching it in the front row that was mental but I completely understand it and when you look at even wrestlers like David Arquette someone that was a laughing stock to the wrestling world and in that documentary that he made he was completely aware of the fact that he was a laughing stock it took going into the ring with Nick Gage and almost having his throat cut for people to be like, yep, yeah, we accept you. It's like almost like a rite of passage. And I know that Jericho probably felt that a little bit as well with the Nick Gage stuff that he did with AEW. It is kind of the ultimate sacrifice that you can put your body through. Obviously, the likes of AEW, WWE, ECW to a certain extent as well, are nowhere near what you watch, Dom. I don't know how I would react watching the sort of deathmatch that, like, like for example, that Rise show that you went to. I'm not sure that I would have enjoyed that show. I can imagine that I would have been squeamish and a bit kind of like, this sounds pretty awful, but I'm willing to put it out there that I do kind of look down on it because 
I kind of see it as run by people that maybe aren't looking out for the wrestlers' best interests sometimes. And also the fact, like, sometimes I'll see clips online where, like, this isn't in Britain, this is in America, where, like, it's like a small show where there's light tubes and stuff and the glass is breaking and kids are at the show. Yeah. Six-year-old kids. In your mouth, like... <laughs> like, six-year-old kids are watching this and there's no barrier, there's no, like, thought of, like, like there's no security, really, so there's no one to kind of push these kids back. So if the parent is not a good parent and put their kids in front of them, they're going to get hit with glass. And stuff like that annoys me. Like, even things like pretty big indie shows not having an ambulance annoys me. So, yeah, the kind of lack of care to people in that room, mostly the wrestlers, sometimes I feel a bit like, does that promoter really realise what those people are putting on the line for them when they're not getting paid very well either? So the positives are huge. And someone like McFoley is proof that you aren't just a muddling wrestler by being a deathmatch wrestler. There is skill to it. There is bravery to it. But the deathmatch scene, I kind of toe curl at a little bit. I feel like it lacks a bit of professionalism. And that worries me. So a couple of different arguments there for sure. Like the medium of deathmatch compared to like safety. But I think your concerns there are 100%. I think we could all be on board with like if things aren't done properly. And then the question is, can it ever be done properly and safely? I know, James, you sort of were saying there that, you know, you've got an experience of being hit with glass at a show, as have I. That does show, I know Mick Foley himself, he talks about he's not a big fan of light tubes because of the danger of the glass for the for people watching, not the wrestlers, because it's so unpredictable. So definitely, Ross, some, some good points there. I mean, I, I can't rally against any of those. The only thing that I would say is, like, a, you know, people probably know I'm, I'm a 35-year-old, six foot six you know, 160 kilogram man, I, a bit of glass won't hurt me, but I certainly wouldn't be taking the kids, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Just for the record, Rise, with, that we've mentioned by name a couple of times, as well as TNT in Liverpool, two of the main deathmatch promotions here in the UK. The other one is Kumite or Kumite, I think it might they might say. Um, all of those, I believe, are 18 plus shows. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. You also asked in terms of favourite deathmatches, Live, I think that the two Havoc and Robinson matches stand out for me. The one at the ballroom was probably a little more memorable because it was not announced and it was unexpected and it stood out massively from anything else that I'd seen live. And then the Wembley one was mad. The way that Robinson's back was just, you couldn't see any skin. That was a lot of blood on that man's back. And because I was quite far away, I think I enjoyed it more. <laughs> that's I think, probably I think there of... might have been some other reasons we couldn't see that one properly <laughs> yeah true a few reasons yeah. <laughs> but yeah so like live those and then in terms of watching on TV would you count things like seeing things like on WWE version of ECW there was uh, the run where like Big Show was trying to like prove that he was hardcore and like he was doing like hardcore matches with people like Ric Flair and there's a match on ECW TV that's like it's only like eight minutes long, but it's like thumbtacks, barbed wire, mental. And it's Big Show and Hammond Flair in 2006, I think. Seems uh, like I'm I, definitely going to go back and watch. <laughs> we, yeah, 100%. Uh, homework for this week, dear listener, as well as host. <laughs> We're going to watch that and do that for what the nerds are watching next week. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, sir. A dog ate it. <laughs> dog ate my network. <laughs> Mate, it's on Google Classroom. Hidden gems. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, brilliant, lads. I think we've done pretty good diligence there um, to death matches. There was just one more little topic I did want to give us all a chance to touch on, and that was the use of blood on TV. There seems to be like quite a big spike at the moment, and I know insert Moxley joke here. Even Excalibur made a Moxley meme joke the other day on commentary when he said a strong wind could bust Moxley open. Um, <laughs> so if the commentators are doing it, well, that's that's my cue that the shark has been jumped. But I just really wanted to ask you guys like how you felt about the blood use in AEW lately and whether you, it was a turnoff or whether you think it was useful or worthwhile or just a waste. And then I'll wrap up our deathmatch special. Uh, oh, so can I go? That, yes, mate, please. I do have a slightly hot feeling on this. Like I know AEW's getting bashed a lot recently and I think it's more of a come down from a really good spot rather than people generally hating the product. Um, but something that genuinely is annoying me week to week is the amount of blood and particularly John Moxley. Like I think John Moxley is a fantastic professional wrestler, but him bleeding every week made me care less about him. Not the feud. I thought the feud was great. And maybe in a way, maybe it helped me and I'm not admitting it in a way because it, it, the payoff was there when Hangman wrestled him because it felt like wrestling the ultimate deathmatch guy because he bled every week. But I'm just sick of it because you're just waiting for it and it doesn't feel important when someone does it to him anymore. Because it's like, yeah, well, every wrestler can split him open. So what's the point of using it? In the same episode as well, a few weeks ago, like Daniel Bryan bled when it added nothing to the storyline apart from it looked kind of cool, I guess. But it wasn't even cool enough that like when Eva Luno split in the same show, that looked so cool because it was squirting out the mask and it, it was in the bulldog choke. That felt like the moment they should have saved and had no other blood on the show. Because Eva Luno, with it literally pissing out of his mask when the bulldog choke was applied was such an amazing spot, but I couldn't help but comment on the fact that I'd already seen blood twice in the episode already. It would have stood out even more if it had been the only blood that month. And I'm not saying you can, look, if people bleed hard way sometimes with accent, or if you plan spots weekly, maybe. I do think they're overusing it at the moment. It's having less of an effect, for me as a viewer anyway. And I, it should I, be special. It should be special. That's basically what I'm saying. Go on, James. I said, I almost disagree. No, I don't fully disagree, but if someone's getting twatted with a brick he's probably gonna bleed moxley's getting fucked around by everything every week probably takes more than a week for his scabs to heal so he's already got one there so i think it may if anything it makes it more realistic yeah it's interesting james like which things in wrestling do we want to be realistic about though like, <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. it's like it's like it's like bret hart i remember bret hart fan and sorry ross if i'm stealing your thunder with this one i remember bret hart was like well if you watch wrestling like how come you've never seen me with a bruise and I'm like, yeah, he's right. It's it's like if, if this was real, like everyone would just be covered in bruises every night. You know? Yeah. Sorry, right. James. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just... I'll go back. I'll go back to uh, thinking about other reasons about blood. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> mate, sorry. Keep going. If you did that. Sorry, mate. I didn't mean to. No, no, no. I, I, no, I, I was just. I just sort of thought. No, no. You made a very good point. <laughs> it's just James. I so, so I, James, I, I know you I watch AW. Like you watch it every week, pretty much, right? Like. Yeah. Has it ever been a point where you've noticed it or cared about it at all, or is it just do you like? No, so I know like the I know John Moxley bleeds a lot. Uh, we had a I say like my brother texts me over under four and a half minutes for the Hangman match, and I say Ross said it last week on the pod. Oscar timed it was two and a half minutes, I think, and he was bleeding. <laughs> so like his, but he's sort of like I don't know. It's the same as like Rick Flair saying "woo" isn't it. Moxley's going to bleed, so I don't really you know. It, but when other <laughs> other like the stuff in like the main event. Of like Danielson and MJF, bloodwise, it's part of a story. Moxie's just, you know, he's just a bleeder. He bruises like a peach. I don't think MJF and Brian had to bleed either, but fine if they did. I don't think they needed to. 
don't think people are going to remember that match and go, and do you remember the Crimson Masks as well? Personally, anyway. I think they're going to remember the amazing wrestling. Fair enough, but I don't think they... Well, maybe that you're, maybe you're making the point that they are going to say, well, it wouldn't have been as good if they hadn't bled. I mean, mm. I don't think... I think it works both ways in that way. So if you're saying maybe not, but I don't know. I say it's not something that bothers me, if I'm honest. I mean, how many times in, in that regard, how many times is the blood making that big difference? I mean, you, you, know, you remember sort of like Stone Cold 97, whatever. Yeah, I'd argue that's why you remember those moments, right? Because they're separated by big gaps of where you don't see any. And I feel like in AEW now, like I don't remember the blade jobs. I just remember there's been a ton of them and reference Moxley always bleeds rather than that Moxley blade job he did here. I say blade job. Sorry, that's disrespectful. But what I'm saying is which, at what point, at what blood is... You know, is relevant at all. Maybe it's just because I like a lot of the old 80s NWA stuff, but I think if you sell, put a blood job at the right point in the feud, it adds to it. Okay, yeah, yeah, fine. No, 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 that's a good point. Yeah, no, I'm just, yeah, for me, I also haven't watched a lot of 80s stuff, if any, to be honest. So, yeah, I mean, I remember, yeah, the sort of seeing that Stone Cold been the sharpshooter. I think I'm right with that. And that being like, a, as a kid, that being like a, that was just before I started watching, but having gone back and seen that, that was like a, a monumental sort of blood thing. And there was quite a lot of blood back then. That still stuck out when you had, you know, like the first blood match. All I was thinking was, what if someone gets in uh, bleeds by accident? What are they going to do? Do you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, so I don't, I don't know. I don't think it takes away personally, but I'm not sure. Yeah, you, 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 and to your point, I'm not sure how much they people gain from it either. So, yeah. Is there a point to it? Maybe not. Maybe you're right. Ross, I'd like to bring you in on the conversation if I could quickly because I'm sort of in my own mind predicting what you're going to say. I don't think we've sort of spoken about the moral side of having so much blood on TV. Like I thought you might like to touch on some of the reasons that we don't see a lot of blood on TV now as a big Nigel McGuinness fan. Yeah, I wasn't actually going to mention that at all. But yeah, obviously, um, having watched that Nigel McGuinness documentary and knowing why he's so anti-blood in wrestling, it's definitely not something that you need to do, as as Matt says. Like, I actually agree with Matt's point in that the more that you do it, the less um, memorable it is. But I think that AEW should do it. And I think that the reason being is that for me, AEW this last year or so, production-wise, become a lot more like WWE it looks more like WWE TV than it used to. It had a kind of a different feel about it, AEW, up until about six months ago with the change. And they've now got a former WWE director, and obviously that's going to affect the way that it's filmed, and it has done, in my opinion. And blood is something that WWE don't do, so I think that them doing it isn't a problem to me, and it's something that sets them apart, and that's something that they should carry on doing. But I do take the point that Matt is trying to make, and I do agree with it, that if you do it, all the time, it becomes a meme, which is definitely not what John Mox is trying to achieve with what he's doing. What is he trying to achieve? He's trying to achieve being a oh. deathmatch wrestler in AEW, I guess. Do you think it's yeah. got to the point where maybe his opponents are like, well, I want to make you bleed if he's made you bleed. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to look yeah. weaker yeah. than him, brother, brother. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Kayfabe boys. I, I don't know if AEW's locker room's like that. It doesn't feel like it, but uh, it could be. <laughs> I think Moxley just likes it. I think that's how Moxie, feel, Moxie feels it does add to a story. I think that's just how he is. I reckon that's probably part of his, his contract. <laughs> I, I'm, I can bleed when I want. Yeah. 
My only yeah. problem with blood in in AEW is that it's the reason that the AEW game didn't come out last month. <laughs> <laughs> the game that you would have definitely played, Russ, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Is that true? Yeah, that is so, true. Yeah. I um, thought it's just because Kenny Omega is in control of it and he can't really do creative. It's to do with the rating system, Ross, right? Something like Correct. that, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So they went through the due diligence of the rating stuff and the people playing the game and seeing what it would be rated and they were expecting our version of what like a 15 would be and it got an 18 and because of that they're worried that it won't sell as well so definitely like so they're gonna have to remodel the blood system basically question how many people aren't buying their kid a game because it's an 18 in this day and age well certainly certainly not those mudslinging parents in that (laughs) deathmatch place (laughs) why affect why affect your margin if you don't have to yeah that's fair yeah (laughs) But also, what whose job is that? So what, like, what's your job? Yeah, just got to play uh, video games and decide whether they're an eighteen or not. Is that going spare? So someone watches <laughs> films and decides if they're an eighteen or not. Yeah, mate, I, I, I get bored. <laughs> it's a legitimate you're, job. All, you're already a sports commentator. How many dream jobs do you want? <laughs> <laughs> Freelance, part time. Dom, do you, what are your thoughts, Dom, on the whole bloods? Oh, uh, mate, I, I've got a foot in both camps. I. I, I completely agree with you, Matt, to be honest. I, I think for impact, not the wrestling company, for for effect, it should be used much less and it should be used in more special occasions. But then on the other hand, I also had no problem with it in the Danielson match, for example, other than maybe like I think in longer matches when people bleed too early, it starts to dry up and um, it almost like looks rubbish by like five minutes later. It almost has to be done at the end of a match, just like stylistically um, for me. But then um, I just, honestly, my number one gripe with it was the Nigel McGuinness thing. In the Danielson match, I was there. I was like, oh, fuck Dragon. Like Nigel was like your best mate. He, he, I know how passionately he feels against this. And that's actually my thought about blood when it's a blading blood. But then weirdly when it's, light tubes and people doing it purposefully another way it doesn't seem to bother me as much and um i'm probably more on your side matt but it, it also i don't feel strongly enough to pre-plan a 15 minute monologue about it no, I should, yeah i should i should also <laughs> say i do I, I, even though i'm moaning about the use of it, like i do think that like the classic red means green is true if i was to say do you want blood or not unfortunately for my own self i probably would still want it there like I get all the health risks, and I'm and I'm willing to back down on those bases. Obviously, if if what's your favorite blood, as in the favorite time a wrestler's bled? No, your favorite blood type, like oh no, yeah, <laughs> favorite time a wrestler's blood. Yeah, favorite I time wrestler's blood. My, my favorite member of the gang, the, bl- <laughs> the bloods. Yeah. <laughs> Genuine question though. What, what, no, fa- you know, like favorite time that you, that you can remember a wrestler bleeding. Oh, th- not, mine is the worst one because I know what happened afterwards, but it's Shibata. But I know what happened 30 minutes yeah. later. So it's so hard to say that's my favourite, but it is visually. So he's got a big Gabriel Kidd feud coming up, though. It's the coolest image in wrestling for me personally. But like knowing what happened 30 minutes later makes me really hate it as well. Listeners heard me mention this a couple of weeks ago, but Jay Briscoe in the cage at our best, Ring of Honor. Look it up. Just Google Jay Briscoe at our best. Unbelievable. Russ, your favourite blood? Image wise, I think the Candice LeRae one looks quite cool. You're a strange man, Ross. I'm, I'm, I'm going. I, I, I'm going. Um, Billy Goat coming out in the all white. Was it the hat? Was it a Havoc match? Yeah, Havoc. And, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. When they when they come out in all white, 
Oh, you know it's coming. Jimmy Jacobs, Age of the Fall, did the same thing. Do you remember Age of the Fall, James? Yeah, we tied it back and yeah, and then I think it was actually Mark Briscoe, and they they tied him up by his feet, like where they had the belts for the ladder match, and he, he they, they just let him drip blood upside down. Oh, I've had Seth Rollins say that he's really regrets being a part of that. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. One more moral one that I enjoyed, but also I really disagree with, was when Orton bled because Lesnar just elbowed his brain. Oh God, yeah. But it oh, did yeah. look it did look well good, but I don't want it to happen again. Yeah. I, I remember seeing well, that Goldberg head headbutt in the, uh, the door. <laughs> that first Lesnar run when he came back with like Orton and Triple H and stuff, and Cena at Extreme Rules, that was peak Lesnar. Did Cena as well, didn't he? Did Cena yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, with the elbow. Yeah. And, and Roman bled in one of their five oh, WrestleMania matches, the and that looks so yeah. cool. That, WrestleMania. Triple H went over him there in his comeback match at Mania. <laughs> that Roman Brock Mania match where Rollins did the run in for the title. That was like low key underrated. I don't think anyone talks about it, but at that point, it was Roman's best match. <laughs> yeah. The last thing for me on the sort of deathmatch special, if anyone out there is interested in more information about deathmatches, I just wanted to steer you in the direction of two documentaries that were made by a man that I mentioned, Nick Mondo. The first one is called Unscarred. It was made when he just had finished wrestling and it was about his wrestling career. The second one was probably even better. It's called The Trade. And you can look it up now. I think it's on Netflix or Amazon. And it honestly, whether you're a wrestling fan or not, it's just an unbelievable piece of filmmaking. And it's all about like the idea of deathmatch wrestling and like sort of explores the idea that deathmatch wrestlers have something wrong with them to want to do it. And Nick Mondo talks about like all these like um, trauma and grief and and like he looks into himself and why he does it and he interviews other death matches about why they do it. And then, you know, there's all these great quotes in it about like, you know, fundamentally we all must have something wrong with us to want to do this. Um, and a lot of the wrestlers say that. It's really, really interesting and it's beautifully shot. Um, it's called The Trade. Look it up if you're interested in deathmatch wrestling. You won't you won't get a better uh, summary of it than one of the greatest to ever do it in Nick Mondo. The second thing and the last thing that I want to mention is just, I think, probably currently the best deathmatch wrestler in the world retired this week. Here's a guy by the name of Drew Parker. He wrestled his last deathmatch at GCW on the weekend. Obviously, he did a swanton off the ladder through glass to the floor like he does in every match. And I just think for the last two years, Drew Parker... He's been the best to do it. Better than Cologne, better than Big Joe, better than Nick Gage. And for me personally, just wanted to say thank you very much to Drew Parker. I hope whatever the next step is for you, you get as much enjoyment out of it. And, um, yeah, save that beautiful body, my friend. Uh, we've still got your bloodstained jeans soon to be in my shed. I can see them from here. They're right in front of me. And I realised they're signed. I didn't know that until I got them out the other day. Good. We're, we'll arrange delivery to my house after we stop recording. Yeah, sorry, Dom. <laughs> Dom. Yeah, I think he might have one more death match left. You think Drew Parker might? He's got a tag team death match on March the twenty third, which is his last one. He's with Abdullah Kobayashi versus yeah. Jun Kasai and Masashi Takeda, who I'm guessing are all yeah. So all th- all three of those are they're probably the three most famous Japanese death match wrestlers ever. Yeah, right. Kobayashi, Jun Kasai, and Takeda. Yeah. I did see that advertised. So he, so it must have been his last American death match. Yeah. Game. I was just last saying, he wanted to watch one more, one more rodeo, you know, because that, that'll be it, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. I hope if it's what he wants, that he is able to walk away, you know. 
I, I hope if that's what he really wants, then we don't see him back. Uh, whatever makes him happy, you know what I mean? Because he's a lovely guy as well. Just a, yeah, the deathmatch wrestlers often are. That's the other thing. Like you talk to them, that is like super sound and nice and kind. Then they get in the ring, that's psychopath. Anyway, <laughs> that's the deathmatch special. da da da. I wish I had a cowbell. Dick, 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 dick. Ross, do you want to do Book of Bingo? Uh, absolutely. B I N G O and Bingo was his name. Oh. Obviously run pretty long, yeah. so I'm going to do a number one to four, and then as host, you get to pick the number, and only that person has to do Bingo. So one person is doing it. Every single person here, or from the Wrestling Jimmy Fun group, knows which number I'm going to pick. Every time on a shot round, I always pick number two. two. Everyone knows. There we go. Number two. Which is JCH. Go on, James. <laughs> it's the king of this shit. <laughs> You are the Nick Gage of Booker Bingo, mate. <laughs> are you hearts? ready? Yeah. Can it be okay. two people I've heard of, please? Yeah, yeah. Just doing it now. Are it's you Mick ready? Steamy and McDreaming. <laughs> oh, I'm all over that. Are you ready? Click. Yes. Boom. Oh, it is Steamy. It's Scott Steiner <gasps> against Sonny. Oh, what a match. <laughs> James, do us proud. Well, I think what's happened is Sunny's come down. We're looking about 1996. She's out here. She's celebrating her best bun slammy award. <laughs> yeah. And then giving it a bit of large about celebrating so that no one could beat my buns. And then all of a sudden. Scott Steiner comes down. He's jumped over from Nitro a bit earlier. Was he still in Nitro then? Yep. Yep. And he said, well, Sonny, you got two buns. I got three buns. You got 27% buns. I got 84% buns and 95% buns and 18% chance that you could beat me in a match tonight for that Sammy Best Buns of the Year award. And then he puts her in the Steiner recliner. Half out. See you later. Scott Steiner's got the best bun slammy. 100% times three. Woo! Keep it simple. Love that. Really good. <laughs> I knew one fact about both those people. <laughs> no one's stopping that, lad. Scott Steiner, winner of Best Buns 96, the big bad booty daddy. And the winner <laughs> of this week's Book of Bingo is JCH, James Harris. The streaks returns. <laughs> <laughs> If you're still here with us at this time, dear listener, thank you very much for sticking it out and enjoying our Deathmatch special. And as always, thank you very much to our very, very special guests for hosts this week. Thank you very much to Ross and Boss Casey. Thank you very much to Big Laddie Cool, Matt Connolly. Thank you very much to winner of Book of Bingo, JCH James Harris. Also, thank you to Phil Stopford. He makes this sound all good for your ears. Love your work, Phil. If you need any editing things done, please reach out to Phil because he does a great job here. And who am I? I'm uh, just right here on the microphone. Until next time, dear listener, don't forget social medias. Holy try, Colin. Rate, review, subscribe. Most importantly, though, drink lots of water. Look after your mates. See you, pal. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun.